You know the average person spends four years of his life looking down at his cell phone. Kind of ironic, ain't it? How these touch screens can make us lose touch. But it's no wonder in a world filled with iMacs, iPads, and iPhones, so many eyes, so many selfies, not enough us's and we's. See, technology has made us more selfish and separate than ever. Because while it claims to connect us, connection has gotten no better. And let me express first, Mr. Zuckerberg, not to be rude, but you should reclassify Facebook to what it is, an anti-social network. Because while we may have big friend lists, so many of us are friendless all alone. Because friendships are more broken than the screens on our very phones. We sit at home on our computers measuring self-worth by numbers of followers and likes. Ignoring those who actually love us, it seems we'd rather write an angry post and talk to someone who might actually hug us. Am I bugging? You tell me, because I asked a friend the other day, let's meet up face to face. They said, all right, what time you want to Skype? I responded with OMG, SRS, and then a bunch of SMHs and realized, what about me? Do I not have the patience to have conversation without abbreviation? This is the generation of media overstimulation. Chats have been reduced to snaps. The news is 140 characters. Videos are six seconds at high speed. And you wonder why ADD is on the rise faster than 4G LTE, but... Get a load of this. Studies show the attention span of the average adult today is one second lower than that of a goldfish. So if you're one of the few people or aquatic animals that have yet to click off or close this video, congratulations. Let me finish by saying you do have a choice. Yes, but this one, my friends, we cannot autocorrect. We must do it ourselves. Take control or be controlled. Make a decision. Me? No longer do I want to spoil a precious moment by recording it with a phone. I'm just going to keep them. I don't want to take a picture of all my meals anymore. I'm just going to eat them. I don't want the new app, the new software, or the new update. And if I want to post an old photo, who says I have to wait until Thursday? I'm so tired of performing in the pageantry of vanity and conforming to this accepted form of digital insanity. Call me crazy, but... I imagine a world where we smile when we have low batteries. Because that'll mean we'll be one bar closer to humanity. saw that video this week and thought that was uh, very appropriate for as we talk about love. Because today, on the Advent calendar, it is love. And as we look at love, um, I want to let you know that I love Christmas time. I'm not sure about you. I think Christmas time is one of the greatest times of the year. Um, but I know that some people don't. I know some people don't like Christmas time. I understand that this is a time of joy for some and others. Not so much. For some, it's a time where people get to, to hang out with family and they enjoy that. And others, it's a time to hang out with family and they absolutely are miserable with that. 
I know that there's times that um, <clears throat> in our life, in Christie's in my life, that, man, all we love about Christmas now is getting to celebrate it with our kids. We don't even buy gifts for each other anymore because, really, if I need something, I just go get it. So, so, and maybe you're at that same place, but, but when you see the kids open up those presents and, and the joy that's on their face, it's amazing. But at the same time, uh, what, 13 years ago, 14 years ago, before Camden came along, before we knew, we had waited for five years, waiting to have a baby's first Christmas on the tree. And that, that made that just a miserable morning, saying, God, when are you going to bring a child into our life? We waited again last year. This time last year, and Dolly was not with us, our, our adopted son. And, and actually, this time last year, they said, well, we don't have any idea if it's ever going to happen because all the things that are going on in Ethiopia, and God worked through all that, and he's here with us now, and it's just an amazing thing to think about. So I understand the, the uh, love for Christmas and sometimes the hate for it because it brings up pain. It brings up things like that. But it, it's also, for us, a chance to, to reach out to people that are hurting. It's a chance for us to show the love. See, when God said that he loved the world so much by sending his son, it's, it's our job to share that. Like I told you before, this is a great time of year. The thing is, is that how do we share that? You watch that video, and as much as we laughed at it, and I'm not even sure if it was supposed to be a comical video, but there, there were some funny parts to it. When you really think about it, people are, are so out of touch. They're so disconnected. We have all this, connect, uh, all this technology to connect us, yet we are so disconnected. How, how does that happen? How does it get there? You know, we have so many things going for us right now that you couldn't even have imagined 20 years ago in the way that we connect with each other. But... What is it that we know? Do I know what you're eating for dinner or where you're eating at for dinner? Absolutely, because we all post it. Or do I know about all the little details? Does Facebook have a tendency to embellish what's going on in your life? And in the reality, you're kind of hiding what's going on on the inside because we don't want to dump everything out there. You know, we know more about people now, but we know less of people. We know about them, but we don't really know them. Because we're not really that connected. Everything is very servicey. How good do I look on the outside? How good is all this? We want to keep people at a distance. Why do we want to keep people at a distance? Because if we let people get close to us, they're going to see our hurts and they're going to see our pains and they're going to see our weaknesses. And guess what? Like it said in that video, we measure our self-worth way more often than we should by the likes that we get on our photos or the comments that we get to come with things and all those things. And Facebook becomes this big non-reality it, it, it's a it's a fake front of who we really are and the thing is is that we see this servicey behavior in our lives today and you know what jesus actually confronts it in the bible now obviously it's not the same confrontation that we have with facebook but at the same time he sees that people are trying to paint up the outside and the inside is just a mess it's just junk. So if you have your Bibles with you, I would love for you to open up to Luke chapter 11. If you don't have your Bibles, it's on our U version, so you can pull out your phone and bury your face in that. Just don't even, don't even put the correlation together with the video. Don't even worry about that. But, um, you know, it, it's on there, so if you want to do that, I'd ask you to open to it. And I'm not going to, to read all of it, all of Luke chapter 11, but I want to show you, because we've been going for the last 
what, few uh, months, like a year and a half worth of months, going through chronologically of the Gospels, we watched Jesus' life unfold. And as we've watched it unfold, one of the big things that we have been seeing now is this confrontation that's taking place with the Pharisees. There's a headbutting that's going on, and it's only getting worse. As a matter of fact, it will eventually, six months from now, biblically, it'll be where it leads to his death in about four and a half months since Easter is on April 5th this year. Um, we're going to see it come to a head there, and we're going to walk right into it the same way. So what we're going to do in that, since we have to jump up time just a little bit, we're going to skip kind of through Luke 11 and point out some, because there's some great teaching in here. Actually, Luke 11 starts out with something we've already talked about, and that is prayer. And it talks about, we talked about it with a Sermon on the Mount back in September, but it talks about how to pray and how to pray with a passion, how to pray with a desire. And he's talking about it, and we're just not going to cover it today, but it's some great stuff for you to take a look at. That's followed up, actually, with Jesus doing a healing. And in the process of Jesus doing healing, he heals a guy who is possessed by a demon. And, and this demon is causing him to be mute, and Jesus drives this demon away, and people are, well, they're amazed. It's kind of funny if you actually read it. It says, and then Jesus just healed this guy from being mute, drove out a demon, and it kind of goes on with it. But something happens in that. And what happens in that is that when he heals him, people start talking. And they don't start talking in a good way. They actually call Jesus Beelzebub. They actually call him the prince of demons. Now, here's when I read this, I see something. I see something that I, well, maybe we don't see it as much today. You can be the judge of it or not. But I see that people hear other people talk and come up to a conclusion minus facts. Because my guess is, is that somewhere along the lines, all these people who are following Jesus have been also following along with the Pharisees. They've heard the Pharisees speak. The Pharisees say, well, this guy must be a demon of some sort. He must be Satan himself. He must be Beelzebub. These people hear it, and when they see something happen, they just jump to a conclusion. We don't see that happen here anymore, though. You know what I mean? I mean, people don't riot about things that they don't really understand, right? That, that doesn't happen anymore these days. Um, you know, th- th- that, that's kind of one of those things that we see that's out there. And these people jump to a conclusion without all the information. And Jesus, the great thing is, he says, hey, guys, do me a favor. Use some common sense. He explains it this way. I just drove out a demon. If I were a prince of demons, if I were the leader of all the demons, why would I do that? It doesn't even make sense. I would be destroying my work versus furthering my work. And they all kind of went, oh, yeah, I guess, uh, uh, yeah. When common sense takes over, it's amazing what things happen. And Jesus is doing this right here. And because they're not using common sense, because they're out there, he actually goes into the next verses and says, you know what? This is a wicked generation. This is a wicked generation. You guys are missing it. The Son of God is standing before you. He actually goes on to say, you know, the Queen of Sheba, she went to Solomon, and she repented because of simple words. The Ninevites, when Jonah went to them, they repented because of simple words. You guys, you have to see a sign, and you see the sign, and then you call me Satan. You're missing it. And he goes on to say, you know what? You guys are blind. 
you're blind. It's not the fact that there's not light out there. It's the fact that you guys don't have your eyes open because you are blind to it all. The light cannot come in because you cannot see it. And in the process of all this, you know there's Pharisees standing out and standing around. So so this conversation is taking place. And as it takes place, a Pharisee comes to him. And this is what we're going to pick up in verse 37. So if you have your Bibles with you, verse 37. Take a look what it says here. It says, while Jesus was speaking. So all these people are standing around. All these people are listening. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at a table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within. Behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees! For you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without even knowing it. Now skip down to verse 53 with me. It says, as he went away from there, we see the result of him confronting these Pharisees. The scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard. And to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something that he might say. What I want to do today is I want to really take a look at surface religion. At surfacey keeping everything on the outside good and not really working on the inside. Because that's exactly what these Pharisees were doing. That was what Jesus was confronting. And we live in a world that's all about the outside and not so much about the inside. But Jesus here tells us, it's much more about what's on the inside than it is on the outside. It's much more about how my father is changing you from who you were to who you're going to be and let that display on the outside versus trying to work the outside in. So as we do that, I want to pray that God just kind of opens our eyes to this, especially this time of season when we so, see so many people trying to put up what's good on the outside when in reality they're just a mess. So let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you even for his confrontation of religiousness, of going through the motions, of playing church. God, don't ever let us be that way. Work on our hearts, work on our minds, challenge us, even through your word today. Speak to us as only you can. We pray it in your name. Amen. So the the passage opens up with with this Pharisee. He's, He's been standing around, he's been listening to Jesus talk, and in the process of listening to Jesus talk, he hears him say some things about being blind and that you guys are, are not like the Ninevites who repented and you're not like the Queen of Sheba who, who repented. You are, you are missing it completely. And he calls Jesus in, and I think some people might ask the question, well, why? Why did he call Jesus in to sit down and talk to him? Why did he call Jesus in to sit down and eat with him? Was it to catch him in a trap? A lot of the commentaries and stuff that I read talked about how the, they wanted to catch him in a trap, but I don't think that's what happened here. I think that's what will happen eventually. But here, I think we can go back to that guy having his hand, or uh, sorry, not his hand, his eyes healed last week when Jesus made the mud. And they said, well, he's either of God or he's not. And there was a division among the Pharisees. I'm not sure if you remember we talked about that last week. But as you see that, I think he might have been on the divided side of really trying to figure out who Jesus is. Trying to figure out what is being played out in all of this. And I think he wanted to really ask some questions. I think he really wanted to know about who Jesus is. Because if you stop and think about it, 
if you really stop and think about it, the Pharisees really should have been Jesus' best friends, shouldn't they? Because they're the, they're the good people. They're the ones that, that did everything right, right? Shouldn't they be the ones? That, I mean, when you say, describe for me a person who is good enough, shouldn't the Pharisees kind of fall into that category? Doing all the religious things, going through all the right things, saying the right things, tithing, doing all the, the stuff on the outside that makes them look really good. We tend to think as a community, as a nation, as a, a world, that as long as we're good, we'll get to heaven, right? Isn't that kind of the mentality that, that people have? And, and when people outside the church and people inside the church hold on to that, I, I I, I want, well, I guess the best way to describe it is this. When was the last time that you were at a funeral and somebody got up and said, well, you know, Bob, he's in a worse place now. <laughs> e- ever been to a funeral like that? No, never. Everybody's always in a better place. And the reason why they're in a better place is because they were a good person. That, that's the mentality that we hold on to. That, that's the desire that we want to have. So seeing these Pharisees, how in the world did they ever butt heads with Jesus? Because they were good people. Shouldn't they have been on the top of his list? But really there was hostility that was there between them. And why was that? Well, I think it's because Jesus didn't come to hang out with the righteous. Jesus didn't come to deal with those who felt like They could do it on their own. He came for the sick. He came for the sinners. He came for those that were far from God to lead them closer. The not so righteous. See, self-righteousness and self-righteous people, and I think that's kind of what he might have been talking about a few verses before when he was talking about these people being blind and missing the light, that, that these people had decided they really didn't need Jesus because they could do it on their own. They were good enough. And self-righteousness, it has this way of leading to religiosity. Uh, uh, It leads to religion. Think of all the different religions that are out there and how many of them are based on works. How many of them are based on what you do versus what God has already done? Think about that in the grand scheme of things because almost every religion you think about has to do with what you have to do. How many churches say, this is what you have to do in order to? Except for Christianity. Or at least it should be except for Christianity because that's not what Jesus ever preached. As a matter of fact, he was against that. That idea of the work system because the work system, it it feeds pride and it feeds vanity. And it produces a word that is too often used within the church. And you know what that is? Hypocrite. Hypocrite. It's thrown around way too often. You know what? The Pharisees were the greatest examples of this in the Bible because they were devout Jews who followed the rules. So many rules that they followed, they actually made extra ones up to follow. They added to the Bible. They had warped and they distorted the Old Testament. Old Testament. And you know what it was doing? It was cutting them off from the God who loved them because they felt as if they didn't need him because they were doing it. And I don't think any of them got into ministry, into being a Pharisee, into being a leader in the church in order to become a hypocrite. That was not their goal. Yet, religion has this tendency to immediately lead us in that direction. And I don't want you to be confused thinking, well, we're sitting in here, so what are you saying? There's a difference 
between religion and relationship with Christ. There's a difference between making it self-righteous and look at all what I've done versus making it about Jesus and look at all that he's done. And, and we have to be very careful with that. And that's what the, the Pharisees were having a hard time with. They knew about a Messiah coming. They knew about God's love. They knew, they knew the Old Testament better than we could ever even imagine. And yet, they missed it. How did they miss it? You know, see, there, this whole thing gets to where it's about the outside. It gets to where we're missing the fact that Jesus is changing us from the inside out. And we think as long as I do this or as long as I do that, I'm good. But Jesus says, no, that's not it at all. It's about the inside. But how does the inside change? Is there anything you and I can do to change the inside? And the answer to that is there's only one thing. Let's give it over to Jesus. Let's give it over to him because that's where the change takes place here. You know, we can dress it up out here. We can make it look real pretty out here. We can get, we can wear those ugly sweaters or nice sweaters next week and say, look at me, look how holy I am because I've got this nice sweater. We could do those kind of things. But in this passage, Jesus is saying, this out here doesn't matter as much as what's in here. We can't miss that. If you look at Matthew chapter 23, and we don't have time, but in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus actually confronts the Pharisees. And in the process of confronting the Pharisees, seven different times, he says, woe to you, you hypocrites. Pharisees and scribes, woe to you. Do you know what a hypocrite actually is, what the actual word hypocrite comes from? It's the word that was used for actor. To put on an act, to put on a show, to make it look good on the outside, but on the inside, you're not really feeling it. And he's calling these guys out saying, you got this outside thing down. Everybody thinks you're really good. But you know what? God knows your heart. And as he is confronting this hypocrisy, guess what? Do you think they came across going, you know what? Jesus, you are so right. Let's gather in and pray together. Come on. Let, th- there was no holy huddle taking place. What did they do? They, they wanted to kill him. Because when you were confronted with hypocrisy, when you were confronted with being surfacy and not wanting it, you see there's no heart change because of the way they react, because of the way it's taken place. And my ga- guess is, is the reason why they kept it surfacy because they didn't want to deal with honesty. The same reason why people don't want to get deep in relationships with people. How many of you, just out of curiosity, know your neighbors really, really well? I would love to say that I do. I know their names. My kids know them because they're always running through their yard and they're getting, you know, yelled at by them. But th- that's, a, that's a whole different thing. The, the deal is, is that we don't know our neighbors like we used to. Because of the invention of the automatic garage door and air conditioning, we don't have to open up our doors or windows. And as soon as we pull in, we can hit the button before we ever get out of the car. We don't have to talk to anybody. Because who wants to talk to anybody if you actually have to say anything? That's why when we say, hey, how you doing? Your natural response is, good, fine, I'm good. Good. How are you doing? Good, too. All right. Well, next week we'll get back. We'll touch again. You know, that, that's, that's kind of the mentality that we have. We don't want to know. We don't really want somebody to dump on us. And we don't want to dump on anybody else because we don't want to look weak. So when that gets peeled back, when honesty really comes out, it changes everything. And Jesus is saying, hey, guess what, guys? We got to get down to the root of it. We got to l- just... Cut out all the surfacey stuff and get down to what's on the inside. 
And that's what we're going to see in here, is that there's this idea of the best way to call it is false religion. When we look good on the outside, but we're never letting God do anything on the inside, that is not it. That is not what it's about. That is called playing church. That is called being a hypocrite. And that's not what God wants. That's not what he sent Jesus to die for. He didn't send him to die so we could be players in this game. No, he wants us to be fully involved, fully changed, fully open to say, here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. You guys sang it. Glory to God in the highest. You guys know you sang that this morning and didn't, maybe even didn't even know it? It says glory in excelsis Deo, which Camden used to think glory, me and Chelsea stay home, but it was, you know, it, it actually means, it actually means glory to God in the highest. We're lifting you up, not me up. You know, as we see that, we see that there's people that are blind to everything that's going on. We see it exist today. We see it laid out there. It's, it's almost crazy to think about. One thing I love about Christmas music is a lot of the theology that goes into it. When you really look at the words and people talking about Jesus Christ being born, that he came to save us from our sin, that he came, and, and these things are all being sung about by people who have no idea. They're completely blind to it. They're singing it probably more for money than anything else. You know, when you hear on the radio, it's amazing to, to listen to it in the malls and to, oh, man, this was my favorite week of TV. I'm just going to be honest with you because I love it when ABC, probably one of the more liberal networks that's out there, plays the Charlie Brown Christmas special. And when they do it, Linus gets up and he shares the gospel. I'm like, yeah, you know, but that, that's just me. I get all excited about it, but people are still blind to it because it's just part of the noise. They're like, well, I'm good enough. I go to church at Christmas. I'm good enough. You know, that's the mentality. We have to get past that. We have to get past just going through the motions because the Pharisees' religion was completely external. It was completely about putting on a show. And you know what happens when you put on a show? You have to make it bigger, you have to make it better, and you have to embellish it, and you have to overdo it, and you have to overdo it with your rituals, and you have to overdo it with your ceremonies, and you have to overdo it with all these things. And Jesus says, knock it off. That's not what it's about. But when it's on the outside, that is what it's about because you have to make the show look better. And here in these pages, it's very evident. And here in our world, if you think about religions that exist out there today, it's very evident. So here's this Pharisee. He just heard Jesus call out this wicked generation. He says, hey, why don't you come and eat with me? Come and sit down. So Jesus comes and sits down. But look at the next verse, verse 38, what happens? The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. Here's what services during this meeting. The very nature of false religion is about symbolism. Symbolism. False religions are, are so symbolic. It's about the way it might look to somebody else. See, this Pharisee was astonished, which is, that's part of the reason why I don't think he did it to trap him. Because if he did it to trap him, he wouldn't say he was astonished. He'd be like, yes, I got him. But instead, he's like, What's he doing? Why isn't he washing right? And a lot of people will read this and say, well, you know, my mom used to always tell me to wash before dinner too, and she'd be mad if I didn't. So I can understand that, right? Because she used to say that in the Bible it said cleanliness is next to godliness, which, by the way, it doesn't, and mom wouldn't lie. But it doesn't actually say that. You know, there's a lot of things we like to add to the Bible. Kind of the same thing the Pharisees were doing here. You know, like money is the root of all evil. That's not true. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Um, God who helps those who help themselves 
not in there. You know, we like to add things to make it sound better. We like to, to do that. Well, that's what the Pharisees were doing. And, and we tend to think, well, maybe it was because of this, you know, cleanliness is close to godliness kind of thing. And, and because that might be in there, that's what this is about. It's not about that at all. It's not about hygiene at all. As a matter of fact, it was about a ceremonial washing and about holiness that was taking place here. That the Pharisees had developed in case somewhere along the line you had touched a Gentile. Or somewhere along you had touched something that a Gentile had touched. This was a ceremonial washing. It even got so ceremonial that they actually had a measurement for the amount of water to use and how to do it. They used an eggshell and a half of water. I don't have any idea how you measure that. But that's what they did. It was an eggshell and a half of water, and you held your hand up like this, and you poured it over the top, and it ran down your fingers and down your wrist. And that was the signification, the symbol of, hey, I am now cleansed. I am now holy. I can eat. And that's what it was all about. Why did Jesus not do it? I think he was making it very clear right then, right there. I don't want to be a part of your club. I don't want to be in your group. I don't want that to be defined by me. I don't want them to see this whole outside holiness. That's not what it's about. Tradition to look good on the outside, and Jesus says, you know what, that, that's not it. I'm not like you. I'm here to work on the inside. And that leads actually to the second one. False religion loves hidden sin. Hidden sin. See, look good on the outside, but whatever you do on the inside is your own business. Whatever you do on the inside is their own business. Look what it says in verse 39. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. See, I think Jesus is in the right place for this illustration. It's about making the outside look good. Let me ask you, the last time you went to Chili's or sat down at somebody's house to eat, did you pick up the plate and look at the bottom to make sure the bottom of the plate was clean? No. When you look at the bowl, if there was something a little bit crusty on the outside of the bowl, you might have been like, oh, it's kind of scraped it off, figuring that somebody carried it out to you, and that's, that's how it got there. As long as that crusty isn't on the inside of the bowl, it's all right, right? As long as there's not something on the inside of your water glass, it's all right. Now, when it's on the inside, that's not so good. But these guys, they are only carrying about the outside. And Jesus says, well, guess what? What you guys are carrying about is pretty much pointless, not completely pointless because I like a completely clean dish personally, but what matters the most is as long as it's clean where everything's touching, where the food's actually touching at. And he's saying, you know, you guys are worried about the things that nobody eats from. Just like here, you're worried about out here, but you're forgetting about what's in here. So you might look good, but you're full of greed and wickedness. Greed and wickedness. How would you like to be sitting at the table that you just invited somebody to come into your house? And my guess is he probably brought his other Pharisee friends in with him. So they're all sitting there, and they're eating at the table. And Jesus goes, hey, guys, you know, congratulations on cleaning the outside of the cup. You missed the inside, and you guys are full of greed and wickedness. <laughs> Who invited him? You know, that would be, be the question, right? When, when it really comes right down to it, the, if you read in a different version, maybe your version said this, robbery and evil instead of greed and wickedness. And that word robbery or the, the, the word greed is actually translated to plunder and pillage. Now, I'm not sure how many of you guys are into pirate movies and things like that. I watched a small 
part of Peter Pan this week. That's all I could handle. Uh, there was only so much singing you could take. But there's some pirating going on here. And he's saying, he's saying in it that basically you are robbing people blind. You're taking their possessions. You're taking their monies. In the matter of fact, you're taking their very souls. Because they are following you. We see that them following them blindly. About calling them Beelzebub just a little bit ago. And so when we see that happen, he says, you guys are robbing them of everything. You are pillaging them. You are plundering. You're taking it all for your own glory. And he's not very happy about it. And he says, you guys need to be careful with that. And we'll talk more about that in just a second. See, the third thing is, is this, is that it was shallow and surfacy. First, we see the fact that there's that hidden sin in there and there's that symbolism in there. Now we're seeing it, that it's shallow and surfacy. Look what he says here. He goes on and says, you know, you guys live in this compartmentalized world. And as you live in this compartmentalized world, you have a really hard time going deep because if once you go deep, it has to break down those walls and you'll be seen for who you really are. Look what he says in verse 40. You fools. Now, there's a point back in Matthew chapter 5 where he actually says, hey, don't call people a fool unless they're a fool. So I guess he actually means it right here. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give his alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. He's like, hey, you guys really think your shallowness is going to fool God? You really think you're going to dupe God into thinking that you're something special by doing this on the outside when he created your inside as well? You're missing it. You're missing it all. You guys are walking along. A relationship with God has got to be more than just something somebody told you to do. Somebody said, hey, if you don't pray this prayer, you're going to go to hell. Well, that sounds pretty bad, so I'm going to pray that prayer. And that's it. It's got to be more than that. It's not just about something that somebody else told you to do. And then in verse 41, it says, you guys do all this symbolic stuff, but you're doing it with the wrong heart. You've got to do it on the inside. You can't just do it on the outside and then continue to pillage and plunder the people and make it look good out here, but on the inside, you're just stealing from them and nobody knows the difference because you're a really good actor. You're a really good hypocrite. And he says, you've got to stop. You've got to give your heart. You've got to give from the inside. And guess what? It's going to cost you. It's going to cost something because there's going to be a change that takes place in your life. We talked this week about, uh, in youth about Mary. And, you know, a lot of times we forget who Mary is and what Mary did. And what she had to give up when the angel Gabriel said, hey, as a 13 to 15 year old girl who's getting ready to get married, by the way, you're going to be impregnated by the God himself, and you're going to carry his child. And everybody around is going to talk about you because nobody's going to believe that story. No, seriously, it's, I, I'm still a virgin. Uh-huh, yeah, that happens. Uh, yeah, exactly, so th- that's, that's where it's at. So you have to think that she's going to be ridiculed. Now, there's a potential for death because of what she did. Joseph could have easily said, that girl, no, it's not mine. I don't know where that, she says it's not anybody's, she says it's from God, but that, no way, you know, she had to give up everything. Her whole life flipped upside down because she let God really come inside of her in a very physical way as well. 
as well as a spiritual way, and her whole life changed. And we look at it now saying, man, that's awesome. But for nine months, and probably well beyond that, people without the right information probably said a lot of different things. They're very hurtful, and it cost her. It cost her friendship, cost her popularity, almost cost her her husband. You know, there's all these things that happened. And he says, it's going to cost you to change on the inside. I know that you guys probably don't uh, have Amos high on your reading list in your, in your Bibles, but um, there's, a, there's a pretty cool thing when Amos the prophet is talking to, uh, talking to the people about their empty worship, about their ability to just kind of go through the motions, about playing church. And he says in Amos chapter 5, you guys need to stop your songs. You need to stop your sacrifices until your heart is right. The crazy thing is, all these guys that were going through the motions that Jesus was confronting, they knew Amos. They knew all of that. They'd studied all of that. That was their job, was to study the Old Testament. They saw it all. He says, but Jesus is like, hey, you know what? You can't live a lie before God. You might be able to fool everybody else, but you're not going to fool God. You can't sing of the righteousness of God and then live unrighteousness. You can't sing great is your faithfulness and then live unfaithfully. You can't sing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, which lifts you up into the presence of the God, lifting him up and then live an unholy life. You can't say God is king and then give our allegiance to something else. That's what Amos was saying to them. That's what Jesus was saying to the, the, the Pharisees. And I believe that's exactly what's been told to us as well. We can't just play church. It's got to go deeper than the surface. And this is where Jesus lowers the boom. And this is where it really affects them. And it really should affect us. Listen to what he says in verse 42. But woe to you, Pharisees. For you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting others. If you want to go on, if you're taking notes, the next one is unimportant. Or if you've noticed all the other ones had S's and the only thing I could find thesaurus-wise for S here was secondary. So that, that if you're going to do that, secondary is the word you're looking for. Unimportant. Things that are just the little stuff. They paid attention to all the little things, all the outside things that everybody would see, but you know what they missed? The things that God wanted them to do. The things that they had been called to do. You know how well they knew the Old Testament? Deuteronomy chapter 10 tells them exactly what to do. Listen as I read along here. Deuteronomy chapter 10 verses 12 through 21. And now Israel, what does the Lord require of you? To tithe on mint and herbs and rue, right? To do things that make everybody else, no, but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belongs heaven and the heavens of heavens and the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart and love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them above all peoples as you are this day. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and no longer be stubborn. You know what that means? Give him your heart. 
your hard heart, give it to him. It's about the inside, not about the outside. For the Lord your God is a God of gods. And the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner or the alien and gives him food and clothing. Therefore, we should love the sojourner for we were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name, you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. These guys knew this. They knew. They could have quoted it for you better than I read it to you just now. They knew it. And yet they missed it. Jesus says that tithing is a great thing, but while you're worried about tithing these little tiny things, you're missing the big picture. You're missing the poor. You're missing the needy. You're missing those who are hurting. You're missing your neighbors. It's funny, somebody came up to me afterwards last night and said, I do not like to talk to people. I don't like it when you do the meet and greet. I get here late so I can miss that. But she said, I need to talk to people. And I need to not be mad at God that I have to talk to people because that is what he's called us to do. He's called us to go. I don't want to miss it. I said, great. So what are you going to do? She's like, I don't know, but I got to do something. And, and that's it. That, that's exactly it. We know the ones who need God's love. And we're missing them. You know people that are hurting. You know people that are needy. You know people that are poor. You know people that don't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And we're missing them. Because we're busy going through the motions more often than not. We're busy saying, hey, yep, I went to church. I'm good. Instead of saying, I went to church and God spoke to me and now i got to live out my life. I, I know that. I deal with it as I study, as I read i'm like god i don't really want to talk about this that's not let's skip to the next one let's talk about the real fluffy versions of the bible let's do, i like that better than so the ones that actually convict me but the thing is is that these guys were paying attention to all these little minute details and they were missing the big one that god had called them to to love the lord your god with all your heart all your soul all your mind all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself that's what he called them to do that's what it was all about. That's what the Ten Commandments are all about. If you want to live by the Ten Commandments, the first ones are about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. The last ones are about loving your neighbor as yourself. That, that's it. That, that's where it all boils down to. And the craziest thing is, is that Jesus still kind of throws in a little bit of sarcasm here too that a lot of people may or may not know. But the fact is, when he says you're talking about that mint and the rue and paying the tithe on that and the, and the tenth of it, in their own rules, they said you don't have to tithe on mint or rue. So he's actually throwing out kind of a sarcastic, you guys are doing things that you don't even know you're not supposed to do because you don't pay that close of attention to your rules except for the ones you want to make you look good. And he's, he's pointing that out, and he says in verse, verse 43, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplaces. See, this one is about status. It's about status. The best seat mentioned here is not these seats that nobody's sitting in. Okay, that's not what it is. It's the, these are the splash zone seats as I spray, as I spit. That's the reason why nobody sits here. I understand that. But, but the best seats in the house that he was talking about were the ones that were behind him, the ones behind the teacher, the giant thrones maybe you've seen on TBN. You know, that, that's the best seat in the house because everybody gets to see you. And when you're the really good Pharisee, you get to sit up there with the teacher and the priest. 
And that's what they wanted. They wanted the status. They wanted them to be seen. They fought for those seats. They were about the pomp. They were about the circumstance. They were about wearing the cool robes with the big hat and the shiny gold stuff on it and all the different things. And as I say that out loud, you know there's other religions out there that are like that. It's about the show, but it's not about the heart. We have to remember it's about the heart. It's not about what we do. It's about what God does. When it really boils right down to it, it's not about you. It's about God. It's about lifting him up. And that's what leads us to the next one. Verse 44, woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. This is about influence. It's about influence. The people that you're influencing, the people that you're leading astray, the people that see what you're doing, they get their information from your lack of information, so their information is even more lacking than yours was. And you're leading them astray. And you're causing problems. And you're causing all sorts of things out there. As a matter of fact, the book of James talks about it saying, hey, if you're going to be a teacher, you better beware because you're going to be judged more strictly. This is why. Because you're leading people astray. And it's talking about this unmarked grave because it was in Deuteronomy, it was illegal to touch a dead body. And if you did, you had to go through this purification process. And they added rules to it. And in the process of adding rules to it, they said, not even you can't touch a dead body. Now you can't even touch a grave or walk over it. And you're saying, you're unknowingly leading these people astray. So they're walking over dead graves and they're becoming unclean because you're leading them the wrong way. You're doing that. And he's talking about it and said, you know, you guys got to stop loving everything on the outside. You have to change your heart. And they missed it. They missed everything that God cared about. They missed everything that God had called for them to do. Their hearts were not hearts for him or for others. Their hearts were hearts for themselves and they were hardened. And that's why Jesus said, love God with all your heart all your soul, all your mind. Love others as yourself. And he commanded us to do that. Because really, when you think about what should characterize a Christian, what should it be? Should it be by what they do and how they act? Sure, that should be it. But not because of why they want to do it, but because of what God is doing in them from the inside out. It should be flowing from the inside out. God should be changing us from the inside out. The love for God, the love for righteousness, the love for Christ, the love for his truth, the love for others, the love for humility, all those things as we love, as we talk about Advent and love, it should be flowing out of us into our actions versus our actions trying to cover up what's not happening on the inside. So my challenge to you today is that as Jesus showed love, gave us the ultimate gift of love by even coming here in the first place, by even dying for us in the first place, that we, as his followers, our duty is to do the same. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word once again, and thank you for your son Jesus to set the example, to be that example of love that we are to be to others, to be that example of peace that we are to be to others, to be that example of joy that we are to be to others. Even though God sometimes We don't feel joyous, even though sometimes we don't feel love, even though sometimes we we base our friendship and our our abilities and and our self-worth on something as lame as Facebook. God, help us to throw that aside and base our self-worth on you and base our self-worth on the fact that you gave your son Jesus for us to base our self-worth on the fact that you would care so much about us that that you would send your son, and not only that, that you would care so much about us, that you would use us to share that word with others. Help us to share that love. Help us to show that love, God. 
We pray that all in your name. Amen. I'm going to step over into this room over here, and I would love to pray with you. If maybe you're just kind of struggling on the inside with maybe a, a lack of joy, maybe a, a lack of peace, maybe a lack of love, there's, there's a bitterness that's inside of you, and I don't, I don't know where you're at with that. Maybe you're sitting there going, man, I, my whole life, I have gone through the motions because that's what I was told to do. And this misinformation has led me astray. And now I understand that it's about the inside, that it's about Jesus working on my heart. And I'd like to have that. I'd like to meet Jesus. I would love to pray with you about that. Maybe there's also that, something that's going on inside, and you're like, oh, I don't want to talk to anybody but God about it. Great. I don't need to be in the way. I don't need to be the middleman. You can get on your face before God right here, right now. You can kneel if there's room in front of your chair. You can get out. You can come up here if you want, however you want to do it. But if, if you've got to get your heart right with God, that is the first thing. It's not about getting the outside right first. It's not about getting cleaned up. I talk to so many people about, hey, love to have you come to the church. Well, you know, I've got to get myself right first before I come to church. I'm like, no, no, no. The church is there to help you get yourself right, to introduce you to Jesus, to lead you, to disciple you, to take you to those next levels. It's not about getting yourself cleaned up first and then going. It's not like you go to a hospital and have to get yourself healthy before you walk in. No, that, that's, that d- defeats the point, and that's what Jesus was trying to say in it all. So if you're there, I pray that you're just meeting God right now, that he's speaking to your heart. Like I said, I'm going to be over here to pray with you. As we actually sing this song, from the inside out.